0: Maybe. there we go. Dear gracious Father, we thank you so much for your Son Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. We ask that as we open your word that your spirit would teach us, that your spirit would guide us, that we would think much of your Son Jesus Christ, we would exalt him, and that from this text we would learn what you require of us. We are just so very thankful for this church family that we have, this time that we have together, to think about the things that are found here in the word so that uh, we may lead a life that's pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you. We just ask your blessing on this time and that our, we would have uh, open mind and clear thoughts to think about the things that are said here. Uh, for, we say this in your son's name, amen. So in the 1600s, England had a pretty interesting way of categorizing students, okay? So if you started school and it was your first year, they would call you a fresh man, two words. The idea was you were a novice, you're fresh, this is new, you've never been here before, so you're a fresh man. Your second year, they would call you a sophie more really close to our sophomore now the word sophie comes from the greek word sophia which means wise and it comes from another word which you can imagine what it would mean because it means uh, somebody who's not so smart we get the english word moron from it so essentially a sophomore is a smart moron then you would go into your third year and you would be a junior sophister, once again from the Greek word for wisdom, and it would, it would, the idea would be, okay, you're a little bit more advanced than the sophomore, but you, you're kind of beginning to know a little bit, you're beginning to learn a little bit, you're not, you're not there, you're not a master, you don't have a master's degree, but you're starting to think, and then you would then get to then the senior sophister, and so, obviously, in, uh, in our day, some of those terms still carry over, right? Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We've been in the book of Proverbs. Remember the first 22 chapters. Solomon is like our dad, telling us how we should act, giving us these Proverbs and things to live by. We've, been, we've assumed the position of a child. Okay, you need to teach me. You need to to lead me. You need to guide me. I don't know what I'm doing. From 22 to here, in, in our text this morning in Proverbs 24, there are these 30 sayings. We've been going through these 30 sayings. And these 30 sayings are not from Solomon. They're from other men. And so the idea is that you and I, we are now going to school. We're in wisdom school. We're in Proverbs school. We are at that awkward stage in our study of these sayings. We are at the point where we are now sophomores. (laughs) We're the the sophomores. We're the smart, stupid guys, okay? We've been in it enough to know, right? But our mind still needs to be refined. We're by no means masters, but we've been in school for quite some time. So, this morning, we're going to be in Proverbs 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 as we go through our sophomore class, right? Sophomore year. There's four sayings that we're going to look at from 19 to 22. The first one is found in verses 1 through 2. And the first class or the first saying in Proverbs 24, 1 through 2 is, Pick your heroes wisely. Pick your mentors wisely. Wisely. Okay, so that would be saying one. Saying two is found in verses three through four, where it speaks about establishing a godly family and a godly home. Then in verses five through six, we're going to have you need to get the right kind of guidance, you need to have the right kind of godly advice. And then lastly, in verse seven, Fools do not appreciate or apply God's wisdom. So let's look at class number one, verse uh, saying 19, verses one through two, on make sure you pick your heroes wisely. Notice what Solomon says. He says, be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of trouble. So here, notice how Solomon starts off. This isn't new in the book of Proverbs, there are several times where we're told to check our associations, make sure that the people that we associate with are godly, wise. So here, to, to say don't associate with evil people is nothing new. But it is a constant reminder, and there might be one thing that might be added here that's a little bit interesting. It's the idea of do not be envious of evil men. We might have the temptation to say that Solomon is talking about the stuff that evil men have. Do not be envious of the stuff. However, it seems to me that Solomon is saying don't be envious of the person themselves. Don't don't be jealous of the people and the status that they have. Of course, this will include the things that evil people get through their evil means, but we should not be envious or jealous when we studied the book of galatians we talked about the gospel we talked about how jesus came down and died on the cross for our sins was buried and rose again on the third day and those who believe that are then declared righteous were given the righteousness of christ declared righteous from that we then have the indwelling holy spirit that empowerment ...of the Holy Spirit and this connection with Jesus Christ. I am united with Jesus Christ. right? I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And because of this Holy Spirit and this union that I have with Christ... ...I have this incredible powerhouse to do what's right. But in the midst of this, we struggle with something that's known as the flesh. I'd like to revisit this issue of the flesh here for a moment... Go with me back to the book of Galatians. Keep your finger here in Proverbs. We're going to go to Galatians. And and go to Galatians 5. We'll start in verse 16 just to get the sense where Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. So this is the yielding to the Holy Spirit. This is that spiritual powerhouse that's changing us and forming us and making us into the image of Jesus Christ. Here's this spiritual powerhouse so that we can live a life that's honoring and glorifying to the Father. It's because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So walk by the Spirit. uh, uh, Follow in the footsteps of the Spirit. Uh, everything you do must be empowered by the Spirit. And notice what he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh here, as we remember, is that sin principle that's still a work in the life of the believer. It's those nasty, evil desires that we still have to do things that don't honor Jesus. And they're there. So if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the flesh. That It's simple, Right? It's it's, simple, it's, easy, it's easy to read this. It's probably not as easy to live it out. And then notice what he says in 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are in opposition to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here you have this position where there is what the spirit wants to do and what the flesh wants to do. They are mutually exclusive. Meaning it's impossible to be a little bit fleshly and a little bit spiritual at the same time. You are either yielding to the spirit or you are giving into the desires of the flesh. That's it. Right? It's a zero-sum game. You're either doing one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. The way, the way to beat the flesh is what? It's the walk by the spirit, right? That's what he clearly says. So he says a verse and then he says in the next verse, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. These are obvious. We, we really don't need a lot of time looking at these because we go, yep, that's what the flesh looks like. It's clear. Now, notice what the flesh is. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions. Dissensions or divisions and envy drunkenness orgies now notice in that list two words jealousy and envy that's what the flesh that's what the flesh does the flesh loves that it, it, it craves envy it craves jealousy we we give into that desire of jealousy and envy anytime i'm jealous of a person because I wanted to be jealous, and I gave in to that jealousy. I gave in to that lust of the flesh. So when we, when we talk about this passage in Proverbs, and Solomon says, do not be envious of an evil man, not only is this a bad idea, and we're going to see why this is a bad idea, you have to understand that if you are jealous of someone and envious of someone, especially if they are evil, it is not because you are walking by the power of the Spirit, but you are giving in to your selfish, fleshly desires. That's bad. That's a a bad habit to have. It's a bad habit to continually walk in the flesh. So this is what happens for us as believers when we're envious of an evil person, regardless of our motivation, regardless of, we say, well, it's kind of okay to be jealous of an evil person because of A, B, C, and D. We need to take a step back and go, no, it's always wrong to be jealous. It's always wrong to envy. There should never be a time in which we justify jealousy. Now, there is a type of jealousy that the Lord has. But that's not the type of jealousy that we're talking about here. of This desire to own something or have something or be something that's not mine and doesn't belong to me. So, do not be envious of an evil man. And then notice the next thing that it says, nor desire to be with them. (laughs) So, so don't have this craving to be around them, to befriend them. The, The sense is, don't desire to be the guy, and don't desire to be his friend. Stay away from this person. Why, Solomon? Why, why, why would we do this? One, it's against wisdom. It, it's not how we as Christians should act. Obviously, we're walking by the power of the Spirit. There's no such thing as envy. We want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Solomon gives some reasons, uh, some sound reasons. Here's the lesson. Ready? Verse 2 For their hearts devise violence, the senses. That if you hang out with them You will become like them So if you envy them And you want to be like them And you want to be their friends You then are going to start Plotting violence against people Your your desire is to hurt people Your, Your desire is to bring people down To tear them down You do not influence them They influence us we shouldn't be envious of these people because if we become envious of them and want to become their friends, then we start acting like them and then we start planning violence. It's possible that if we start becoming like them and start planning violence, then the assumption is that then we will then go out and do that violent thing. And we can easily justify it by saying, my friends are doing it. These people are doing it. I have a good intention to be envious. I have a good intention to be violent, to cause trouble. But I think there's another implication here. It's not stated. You kind of have to read between the lines. But it's the logical conclusion, if you think of this. What is stopping this evil man from then turning his plans of violence against you? So not only not only will you become like them, not only will you become violent, but it's a possibility that you could become a victim of this evil man. Notice what else they do. Uh, so not not only are they planning, not only are they not only are they conspiring against each other to cause to, to cause hurt to somebody, but it says and their lips talk of trouble. So this is the same thing, right? Saying the same thing. This is a synonymous parallelism here. It's basically saying the same thing. So they're they're planning. But now they're but they're they're openly talking about it with each other and with you this is their desire now this word for trouble it's much more than just a a little kid uh, with a crayon in the bathroom drawing a picture That's trouble, right It's not fun, it's not good. I'm not condoning it, but at some point you go, yeah, the kids will be kids that's not that's not this kind of trouble. The trouble here is this. These acts of destruction and violence and havoc and horrendous behavior, deceit, treachery. This is the type of behavior that takes people away from the Lord Jesus. In in fact, the, the image is similar to that which is found in Psalm 2. Quickly go with me to Psalm 2. You ready? Psalm 2, starting verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? What are they plotting? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's the type of thing here we're talking about. We're talking about insurrection. We're talking about taking people away from the Lord. We're talking about the type of advice that says you don't have to listen to God's word and God's wisdom. You could become like that. Don't do this. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous thing for your soul. This is a dangerous thing for a church. It's a dangerous thing for the community. It starts by walking selfishly by the flesh and not by the spirit for us as believers. And once, once we start walking by the flesh... Oh, anything could happen. Any sin could happen, right? It's class one. How are we like in sophomore year so far? Fun? You ready for the next one? <laughs> Let's go to the next class, right? Saying number 20. Notice what he says in verse three. By wisdom, a house is built. So I want to start by first defining what house here is. And then we'll go back and look at by wisdom, okay? Because I think that's kind of important to understand here. What does he mean by a house? It's likely that it means one of a couple things. It could either mean the family, which is kind of what I think is the the implication. It could mean actually building a house itself, like the actual building of a house, right? We could take it hyper-literally. It seems a little strange that that would be what Solomon would do. All of a sudden, he would just change gears and go hyper-literal. It could mean any endeavor, right? So it could be a metaphor of any endeavor. And in a sense, what is said kind of makes sense with all of them, right? By wisdom, by God's wisdom, that is, yeah, I'm going to raise a family. By God's wisdom, I'm going to do any endeavor. And by God's wisdom, I'm going to build my actual house. But I think it's best to look at this and think of, think of a, a, of a family and and, and a family structure. Because I, I think that's primarily what Solomon's thinking here. And notice that a family is built by wisdom. This isn't any wisdom. It's not just getting a whole bunch of people who have degrees and asking them for their advice. This is, By God's wisdom, right? I mean, that's what what it has to be. It can't be anything else in this context but God's wisdom. So, So the family must be founded upon this wisdom that comes from God. And if it's found by wisdom, that means then that it's planned. It's thought through. It starts from the principles of God and then goes to build. It doesn't doesn't say, okay, I'm doing this one thing, I've done the thing, now let's try to add in God's principles to the thing that I've already done. That's not wise. This has the implication of it starts from a good, solid foundation and is built from that foundation. This morning, uh, in in the shower, I was thinking of uh, that song by Elvis. Remember that song where it says... Wise men say, fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you, right? Like the rivers, right? They just flow. I can't help it. No planning. It's all just some sort of chemical reaction. I see you from across the room. That's it. I don't care what wise people say. I'm in love. Now, granted, that is hyper-romantic and absolutely foolish, Imagine if Solomon would have heard Elvis' song. He would say, be quiet and sit down. No, it's built on... Of course, there's probably, there is probably romance. I mean, he wrote the book of Song of Solomon. It's romance. Solomon is romantic. We're not saying that there is no such thing as physical attraction. That's, that's silly. But the house and the family is not built on physical attraction. It's built on the wisdom of God, and it has to be built that way. That the foundation has to be that we take God serious. It has to be that we are starting on a foundation of Jesus Christ. It has to start with, it's important that we follow the Lord. It has to start there. If we take this to mean any endeavor, oh man, then there's a lot more applications and implications because I know plenty of people that have done a lot of things for the Lord and they just did it and then they look back and go well we probably should have I had good intentions <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't they, they looked at the end product and then said okay how do we backfill instead of saying how do we start from God's word first how do, how do we start with the right foundation first and then build from the right foundation. That, that seems to be proper. So, so the, the house is built, right? It needs that good foundation. But then notice the next part. It says, by understanding, it is established. So it needs God's wisdom. But then it needs understanding. And here the word for understanding is the word for discernment. So, so it's not only just built on wisdom... But then it's established and made strong when the family exercises godly, biblical discernment. When the spiritual leaders of the family are determining what is right and what is wrong, distinguishing between truth and error, and saying, this is the right way to go based off of God's wisdom. And when a family does that and acts in this way, Solomon is saying, This family is made strong. I'm sure we all are familiar with families that started off really good, couples that started off right. But because of lack of discernment, the family wasn't strong. They were trying to build an igloo in the desert. They didn't do it right, and it was destroyed at the first moment of adversity because there was no discernment. Friends, we can't pick and choose which parts we want to build this family. We can't pick and choose what we want. Oh, I'm going to be really good in discernment, or I'm going to be really good. No, this idea is that it needs to start with wisdom, that it's established by discernment, and then notice this next one in verse 4. It says, by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant treasures. The word here for knowledge is, once again, this word that doesn't mean just that you know a lot of things. It's that you know God himself. So if it's built on wisdom, if it's established by discernment, and there's this constant drive to know God and to know him more and to know him correctly, the principle is, not only will you have a strong house, you'll have a strong, enduring house. And notice, it's a strong, enduring, rich house. This could speak of, of physical treasures, no doubt. We've already talked about the Advantages of wisdom financially, of course, if I'm not spending my money on drunken orgies and I'm not going to places and blowing all of my money on things that are not honoring to the Lord, I get to keep that money. Makes sense. And if I'm smart with my money and, and I see my money as a stewardship from God that I'm supposed to use in a way to honor and glorify him, obviously you are going to keep more money than you're going to spend, right? And it's just, just simple. Could speak of that. However, if it is metaphorical, then this richness is talking about much more than just, I have shiny things in my house. Right? It's much more than just a squirrel den where he goes around and picks up shiny things and puts it back in his den. We're we're talking about a strong, vibrant family. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the preciousness of walking with the Lord this fullness of life that comes from living life wisely, that, that is just going to be exemplified through the family. You know, a, a lot of times uh, when, I, when I do counseling with people, and, and I'm happy to do counseling. I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm against it. I'm, I'm just sharing what I find when I do do counseling. Most of the time when I do counseling, It's because people did not start right. They didn't start building their family right. Or through the process of their marriage, they didn't use discernment. And God and walking with the Lord and knowing God wasn't the highest priority. And years and years and years of that type of mentality, that type of life, that type of family only leads to huge problems, huge problems, massive issues. And of course, they come to me, and I try to help them biblically. But there's at some point you go, man, this started off bad. This, this started off bad. Where, There's not much we can do, right, apart from the Lord's serious work on hearts. And so let me, let me say this to the younger people. And hopefully all of the older people will gladly say amen to this. Some of you are getting ready to start life. And you're you're, you're moving towards the next stage. And this next stage is now families, jobs, careers. Make sure that you're wise about this. Make sure that you're principled and you go, okay, what does God want in a family before you even get into a family? And and what does it look like to have discernment and walk through issues? Get that before you get a family. Because it's really difficult to live in a family. It's even more difficult to learn this, learn these principles while you're learning how to be in a family. That's the advice. It's lesson two. Ready for class number three? All right? Alright, class number three. Notice verse five. <clears throat> a wise man is full of strength <clears throat> and a man of knowledge enhances his might for by wise guidance you can wage, wage your war and an abundance of counselor there is victory. Now, We've got to remember that Proverbs, Solomon is talking like a father talks to a son. So obviously a lot of the images in the book of Proverbs are very masculine. And one of those masculine images that we men really like is war. I don't know what it is about war and war movies and war stories. We just love that, right? We do. I think every week I think I at least watch one war movie, right? I like that. Gets my blood boiling, right? Yeah, makes me feel alive. So this image I get as a as a as a man. There's this sense of a of a wise man full of strength. The, the word here for man is not the normal word for man. It's actually the word for warrior. So the sense is a wise warrior is full of strength. So it could speak to the physical strength of the warrior, but we can't forget that little adjective, right? He's a wise warrior. So the wisdom is more important than the physical strength, right? There's people who have physical strength and they're not wise. But what about that one who has physical strength and is wise? Now, that's a, that's a winning combination, right? That, that's a powerful combination. And, and so that's, that's the image. The image is for us to say wisdom is, is the thing that one should get, right? Get wisdom. And wisdom added to the things that you already have is a great advantage. Wisdom is a great advantage. And then notice what it says: a man of knowledge enhances his might. It's not. It's not because uh, I've tried this. It's not memorizing the Book of Proverbs makes you stronger. I can tell you right now, I, I've tried that, and I can't lift any extra weight by just memorizing the Book of Proverbs. I wish that was the case. That would be sweet, right? Just. I read my Bible, and now I can lift 400 more pounds. The idea here is that with wisdom, you are able to apply the knowledge you have. And here, the knowledge is, once again, knowledge of God. So a wise man is able to apply his knowledge of God to situations, and because he's doing it appropriately at the right time, it maximizes the strength. It maximizes the opportunity, so that the advice is to you to get wisdom and to use it appropriately. Now, the next verse is an example. It says, "For by wise guidance, you can wage your war." Now, this is not advocating that every single one of us pick up a sword and go to war. It'd be sweet, nonchalant. Joke. That would be against the advice before of, of devising planes of violence. But the sense is, in those moments where there's adversity, you, you need to realize that wisdom is far more important. That's why guidance and the right kind of guidance counselors, the right kind of advisors will help you wage that war so that you can have victory. The idea is, don't be so self-reliant on the things that you have. Realize that wisdom is important and you need the wisdom of other people to help you. So, notice what he says next. In the abundance of counselors, there's victory. This is the way it goes. We need to have abundance of godly counselors. We need to listen to the right people. As stated before do not be envious of an evil man because he has terrible plot, right? He, he, he devises these terrible things. If I listen to him, guess what? It's going to fail. As an American who's from Wyoming, who grew up in Texas, it is very difficult for me to go, I need godly advice. It's an act of God when I ask for advice. And as I'm maturing, I'm asking for more advice. Amen. This is something that needs to be reminded. Godly advice is invaluable, right? You can't place a value on it, and it's important. It's important to have godly advice. Not just advice, but godly advice. I'm looking at the world around us, and I see many believers who are listening to people who claim to be giving very godly advice. And I listen to the advice, and I go, that doesn't sound godly. That doesn't sound godly at all. And the people, they listen, and they go, and they charge, and they do things, and they they do things, and they do things in the name of Jesus. And you go... Please do not claim Jesus while you're doing this thing because it makes all of us look bad. We need to have right godly counselors. This is the way that we honor and glorify the Lord, right? But we got to remember and I don't want us to stray. The undertow of the entire book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. That awesome, incredible respect that we have for God. I'm going to listen to him and no one else. The counselors we listen to must have that as their overarching advice in everything. It should be those counselors are the ones that say, what does the word say? What does the word say? What does God say? And those ones that say, well, we got to be obedient. You have to be obedient. You have to be obedient how sad it is when people go to people who give advice that is very fleshly. It may work for a moment, but it causes a lot of things to crash and burn. Now, thinking of this idea of counselors and the idea that we need godly counselors, Solomon almost kind of assumes, and, and because if you've ever talked to a high school kid about anything, you realize that you need to clarify every statement because you don't want any loophole. That's how I was when I was a sophomore. And so it's almost like you can hear the teacher thinking in his mind, if I say you need a guidance of counselor, or you need a whole bunch of counselors, then the person's going to go out and go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to pick my friend to be my counselor. And, and my friend's going to give me advice. And the teacher goes, no, no, wait a minute. Yeah, that's partly what I said. It's not all that I said. And we're really good at that, right? Half measures. I'm going to half-listen. I'm going to half-do this. So Solomon almost kind of anticipates, anticipates our mind, anticipates that we're going to look for a loophole. So notice what he says next. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Now, this is a great theological principle, the idea that wisdom is on a top shelf and the fool is too short to grab it. That's the image, right? Cookie jar on the top shelf, little kid can't grab it. Little kid can try to grab, but he's not going to. That's the idea. And it's not, it's not the idea that the fool can't understand the syntax. He can't understand the words. It means that he can't appreciate wisdom and apply it appropriately, right? And isn't that true? We see that in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about the, the carnal man. ...cannot appreciate the things of God because they're spiritual. And, and Paul says that he doesn't understand them. It's not, it's not that they can't, he can't understand what the words say. It's that he can't appreciate the concepts and apply them appropriately... ...because he doesn't want to. And for a fool, it's too high for him because... ...not that it's simple. It's not that the stuff that we've been going through the book of Proverbs... ...has been so philosophically deep... ...that we all need to get a PhD in philosophy to understand... In fact, these are these seem to be pretty low-shelf cookies. The reason that they're not able to reach it is because a fool doesn't want wisdom. He's unable to reach it because of the desire of, I already got this. I don't need the Lord in my life. I don't need to follow the Lord. I don't need those points. So for a fool, it's too high because he's unteachable. For a fool, it's too high because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit and he can't appropriately appreciate the truth and apply the truth. Kind of sad, actually. It's kind of sad when when I I found the book of Proverbs to be incredibly uh, helpful for me in my life, and and I feel like I've matured leaps and bounds from studying this book. And and for somebody to say, oh, it's too high. I I can't reach up and grab it. You just go, it's because you're not trying, man. why would you avoid something so valuable? But but isn't that man, isn't that what happens with man and our depravity? We are so, man is so lost apart from Jesus Christ that he doesn't want the truth and he doesn't want the help of God, even though it's there and it's freely offered. Now, this next statement is kind of interesting and and. Some of us, we might go, now, wait a minute. This, might, this doesn't sound exactly like what we've studied in the book of Proverbs. Notice what it says. It says, in the gate, he does not open his mouth. And many of us could go back to several passages before and go, no. That's, a fool always opens his mouth. In fact, the advice has been, fool, don't say a word. So now you're saying all of a sudden the fool doesn't say anything? I don't think that's what Solomon means here. I think what he means is that he's got nothing to say when he's at the gate. There's a huge difference between saying nothing and having nothing to say. So the fool doesn't, can't grasp wisdom. And when things get serious and there's a serious discussion, the fool, <laughs> the fool has nothing good to say. He has nothing valuable to say. He has nothing that helps move the ball forward. All of his advice is always going to be against the Lord and against the wisdom of God. So I remember in my sophomore year of, of uh, high school, uh, my language arts teacher, his name was Coach Andrews. We just called him Coach. Uh, he was one of the few teachers that I had in school that was a believer and a very outspoken believer. Uh, he, every day he would say something uh, in a public school. Uh, now, granted, it was Texas, and so there was a little bit more leeway, but he would say stuff. And, and they were they were biblical. He would share the gospel openly to the students during class. Uh, really respected him for that, very outspoken. and he was a guy who was a very very troubled the team, got into all the trouble that you could get into. but he was a star football player in Texas. So he got away with all of it. He got away with it all. ended up going to college playing college football, right? doing all of the stuff that he was doing. And uh, one game, he was playing, and uh, it was on national TV, and he was going to go make a tackle for a guy who would later go to the NFL, and he twisted his knee, and somebody hit him, and he snapped his leg in two. Football over. That pass that he had before of doing all those bad things was gone. And he... It turned ugly quick. The only thing that saved him was the Lord. And he came to know the Lord Jesus. And then he became a high school football coach and English teacher. He would say this saying to us as sophomores. He was warning us against the advice of, you know, don't be careful who you make as your friends. And a lot of the same advice that we learned today. But he would always say, come on, come on. You need to act your your age, not your shoe size. That was a great saying. And I wish I had a spiritual equivalent to that this morning. I tried thinking of one. I thought, act wisely, not like a fool. That's too clunky, right? Act like Christ, not the Antichrist. I, guess, I don't know. Or, or uh, you know, act according to the Spirit, not selfishly. I, I don't know. You pick, your, pick your poison, whatever one you want, that will help you through the week. I, I, the principle is this. Here's the principle. We have received advice that's telling us how we ought to act. It's giving us a picture of this is what wisdom looks like. This is what's expected of us as believers who are walking by the power of the Spirit to look like this. That's the expectation. Whatever you need to say to remind you of this expectation, say it. If it's act your age, not your shoe size, great. If it's I'm going to walk like Christ, great. I don't care. The point is, here's the advice, that we need to act in wisdom, God's wisdom. Not just that we're upstanding citizens and we get better jobs and promotions and people applaud us and a lot of people will come to our funerals when we pass. But all of this wisdom is to honor and glorify the Lord. So we need to act wisely as an act of worship. This is how we worship. This is Each moment is this moment of worship. And acting wisely is worshipful. This is the expectation and this is what it looks like to be worshipful. And so we need to pray to the Lord to help us. To give us the strength. To energize us. To help us walk by the power of the Spirit. So that we can live out these incredible principles that we see so that we can bring him honor and glory. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found here. We ask that as we uh, go through life, and uh, that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would walk by the power of the Spirit, and that based upon the power of the Spirit and the the empowerment that he gives us that we would live wisely fearing you Uh, just thank you for everyone who's here and everyone who's able to come out i ask father that this was a good time in the word and that they'll walk away saying it was good to spend time in the word this morning we pray that you would give us safety as we go and then bring us back tonight as we continue to study in the book of romans we thank you and love you for everything you've given us in your son's name amen